And we're back. Big MX Radio Podcast brought to you by Fox Racing Canada, Phoenix Handlebars, Guts Racing, and WSA, as well as SKDA Graphics. Forgot to mention those guys. They do a fantastic job. And uh, tell you what, if you guys leave a review on Big MX Radio, whether it's iTunes or Spotify, it doesn't have have to be a uh, five-star review. If we haven't earned it, don't give it to us. Leave us a review on, on iTunes or Spotify. And you were entered to win a $100 gift certificate to SKDA Graphics. Do it today. Would really appreciate that. that that's how we get to the very top of all podcasts. And that's where we're headed. Uh, all right. Now let's get back to the preview show with Checkers and Debo. Last three years, I think it's going to be pretty tough for him not to be top five again, just because of that crazy consistency of he's going to be in the top 10. And a lot of times he's going to be right at fourth, fifth place is going to be a place that he's going to find himself in. Quite the often. only thing I disagree with you is I do think front riders are, are fear, fearful of him. I don't think they want to start a war with him. Eli doesn't want to start a war with him. Anderson probably doesn't care, but if you're smart, the best thing you do is get around him clean and get away from him. You know, if you do start die bombing him and you start, start the war, Barsha will be the one that finishes it. And that he could be the one to fuck up your whole championship series. I can definitely see, um, I can definitely see them not, I think he will do everything he can to avoid having that issue and, and having a run in with them because he, he has to have learned. He's, I think he's smart enough to, to do that. So yeah, I think that that'll change. I think for the most part, people are, are definitely scared of like not only doing something on purpose to Justin Barsha, but even just when you're making a pass, you inadvertently get in his face because he's going to take that as immediately like, as like, red alarm i'm under attack and we'll just like ready fire aim at anybody um and i i seriously i I don't envy anybody who's having to pass him on a regular basis and he's a good starter on top of that so uh that usually means if though like guys honestly guys like dylan ferrandez who don't get good starts that's who they have to deal with every single weekend uh, in order on their way to a top uh, top five finish, so that that's going to be very difficult for uh, guys like uh, like another guy that we're about to talk about, which is Christian Craig. First of all, is he a rookie? Secondly, like the guy's got speed; he's he's silky smooth on the motorcycle. Um, but as we said, in the fourth or fifth guy now, uh, dealing with uh, a chassis setup that might not be as tuned in as it needs to be to be successful in Supercross few snippets on, on on Instagram show me that he's looking pretty comfortable, but this is also the first time that Christian Craig is riding an Austrian motorcycle in his professional career. Um, that, that raises some questions for me. I know you guys basically like have a table set for two. The two of you guys are going to argue for the next 25, 30 minutes. So with that, I just want to ring the bell and I'll, I'll let uh, you guys can touch gloves and come out swinging. <laughs> Have at it, leader of the Christian Craig fan club. <laughs> Checkers he, like, opens arguing his about shirt Chris- and he's got like, number 28 underneath. <laughs> We've been arguing about Craig for for a, a couple years now. You know, I, I, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of Christians. I mean, I like the guy. I I, I like the way he rides a motorcycle. Um, but Checkers has made it very adamant that and uh, very clear that he never felt that Craig, that Craig has been, you know, just riding a 250, kind of milking the ride and, He's obviously had some uh, off years and and uh, has always kind of never been very clutch, has made some mistakes. But Checkers was very insistent that he would never get a factory 450 ride. And I said, well, 
I go, you're full of shit. He's going to get a factory four fifty ride. He's earned it. He's already had a factory ride, which I guess was a fill in on a four fifty, but he did have a four fifty ride with factory Honda. And then finally this year, you know, he put it together on that two fifty and just ripped. Of course, Checker says the only guy he beat in the city class was uh, was uh, uh, Vince. what's his name? Vince Freezy. Uh, Vince Freezy. Yeah, he says. So what kind of titles that he beat Vince Freezy, some thirty year old guy, old guy? I go, well, Craig's thirty years old too. So. Um, you know, to see him on that 450 KTM or, or Husky, I think it's, it will be a big change. But 2018, he rode what I got nine rounds for uh, for factory Honda part time East with Geico or the other the region to the class. He had four top fives, two top tens out of six rounds. Uh, I think he's got nothing but better uh, with age, smarter, bigger, stronger. <laughs> yeah, I think I got him to run a top five consistently this next season. You know, if, I think if he would have rode a, a star Yamaha 450, I think he'd be a podium guy. But learn that new bike. He's fast in the whoops like Malcolm. Malcolm was not as fast as whoops on, on that on that Husky as he's been in the past. So hopefully uh, Craig can adapt. Um, but again, I got to run top five most of the year. It's all you, Craig, or Checkers. <laughs> well, first of all, it was a full-time factory 450 ride in Supercross that I didn't think he would ever get. And honestly, I didn't think he was ever going to win a 250 title. And for a lot of years, I looked really, really smart because it goes all the way back to when he had those great results in Supercross on a 450 that he's been saying, I want to ride a 450. I want to ride a 450. Give me a factory bike and I will move out of the 250 class onto a 450. And clearly all those team managers didn't think he was ready. He has definitely improved with last year. He was much better mentally last year. Uh, much more consistent. He made a step up. Um, he's still going into the 450 class. And yes, you can say he had those great results. That was a very, very depleted field. He's had great 450 results outdoors. Well, guess what? When outdoors started, over 50% of the top 10 in Supercross weren't on the starting line. So of course, that automatically moves you up in the results. Am I taking away the fact that he has podiums and that he's done well? No, he can have those results. Those count. But when you're looking at it as a whole, going into this Supercross season, those guys are all on the starting line with him, and now he has to beat all those guys. And he's, in my opinion, a rookie, but I don't think we see the rookie mistakes because he's super good on a 450, super smooth, and he's older. He's more mature. So I do think he avoids those mental mistakes. He also has Alden Baker in his corner, which that very well could be the missing piece. Like He was mentally better last year. 100% hands down. He has grown in that department and Alden could make him even mentally stronger yet. And in that case, he's going to be pretty tough to beat because he's going to be really smooth. He's not going to make those big mistakes. He looks amazing on a bike. I mean, it's tough to find anyone that's more fun to watch than Christian Craig. I do think that we'll see a little bit difference in the whoops. He'll still be good, but I don't think it'll be like the 250 class where he's just blowing by guys. One, because everybody's good in the whoops. But also, they're a lot tougher on a 450. It's a lot harder to set the bike up. It's a lot more weight. It moves around a lot more. And also, they're a lot more hammered. They've already gone through the 250 main event when that 450 main starts. That's they're right. more cupped. They're sharper. They're deeper. They're harder. Uh, yeah. Which a lot of times makes them into, even for the best guys at blitzing whoops, they have to learn to jump them. And I don't recall ever really seeing Craig jump whoops which there's times it's inevitable. It's, it's slower to blitz them. Even Malcolm has to jump whoops sometimes, and he's a great he's great at getting on top of them. 
he begrudgingly um, at the end of the day, <laughs> jumps them. He's like against his will, he, he jumps the whoops. Right. And he's not pretty good at it. So I just think that the field's really deep. And to say that Craig's going to just jump in there and, and be a top five guy against dudes that have won 450 supercrosses and whatnot. And I'm not saying he can't get some top fives, but definitely I don't see him in the top five in half of the races. You know, I don't see him doing what Barsha did and getting 11 top five finishes. So that puts him at least outside the top five in points. And if you start going down the names and, and listing guys off, trying to figure out where he sits in, I think he's more at the end of the series. If everyone were to stay healthy, which they probably won't because unfortunately injuries happen. I think he's more towards the tail end of the top 10. If he's even in it, you cannot not discredit guys like Joey Savacci. I'll, I'll throw his name. He's going on a privateer bike. He's pretty dang good dirt bike rider. He's pretty talented. I don't think that you can just say Christian Craig is going to be so much better than him, no matter what, hands down. Absolutely. And you I know what so. the reality is, is <laughs> we're going to end up talking about 16 guys on factory equipment, full-blown manufacturer-backed factory, factory riders. And there's two things that um, I think kind of like favor Christian Craig rolling into this season. And, but one of them could also sort of hurt him. And the fact that he's the only one on either one of these teams on the Austrian brands, that's actually new to that motorcycle. Every single one of those guys has ridden this bike in prior, uh, in prior condition, which means all, all, they also, none of them have like all those other guys had like a preconceived notion of how that bike handled prior to this new chassis. So he's coming into this with an open mind. And aside from Malcolm Stewart, who I don't think has hit whoops the same way ever since he broke his femur at Phoenix. Um, I don't think there's anyone on the planet that hits whoops as well as Christian Craig does. Um, so he might may very well gel with this motorcycle and perform extremely well. And the, on top of that, I think that you add the, the style and consistency of Christian Craig with the Elton Baker program, which he's new to, he's not going to be like completely burnt out by this thing right, right off the hop. That's something that might be able to be something that sort of like pushes him his up a little bit of a notch. But then again, he might still struggle with that. And the fact that this is, although he's not really a rookie in this series, in a lot of ways, he still is. And he's on a brand new motorcycle, which like, that's the first thing a lot of guys talk about. Brand new bike for me this year, this kind of thing. Honestly, I think you're right, Trekkers. I, I put him somewhere around the six, seven, eight range rather than say like a fourth, fifth, six, seven. I think that uh, the biggest thing uh, goes back to 17 rounds. 17 rounds is a grind. It, it's gnarly. And, you know, anybody who ever have powers, they suggest that the TVD class needs to run a full 17 rounds is, is an idiot for one. Because It'd be a triage unit. Yeah, they can't even survive eight rounds, nine rounds. You know, these are the world's best. And finishing 17 rounds, it's gnarly. You know, and that that's I think that is going to be the biggest change for Craig. You know, he did run 24 motos this past summer on a 450, so he's used to that. And outdoors is gnarly as well. But 17 rounds of Supercross, 20 minutes plus one lap, those are some 24, 25, 26 lap main events. When that track is a landmine field, that I think is going to be his biggest challenge. As speed, smoothness. Uh, I think he's over the mental hump. I really believe that. I think the Alden thing's going to be great. It's just going to be that 17 race grind that I think could get to Christian more than anything. Um, you know, nagging injuries, anything that maybe comes up, a crap practice crash at home, you know, or, or in Florida. Um, but I think we're going to see, I think every year we always, somebody kind of comes out of nowhere 
and puts up results. I don't see it with Marvin. I don't see it with Webb. I don't see it with Barsha. I, I, Malcolm's already on the cusp of greatness. We've seen some good things from him. I think Christian's the guy that we're going to see that's going to kind of surprise everybody, run up front, find a good rhythm. Um, it's just a matter if he can do it for 17 rounds. That's my only question. But I, I, I see him getting – he's going to get good starts. He's going to hold shot main events. He's going to get up right away. He's going to figure out the pace of these guys. He's not going to be like Francis back in 12 trying to get to that pace. He's going to know right away how comfortable I am running this pace. Plus, he's been riding already with a ton of guys, that star guys. We watched those Instagram clips. There's 15 guys out there. They've got a damn main running already. So I think I'm going to see – I'm looking for good things out of Christian. So that's uh, – you know, that's something like I said, Craig, checkers I've been arguing about. and But you guys might both made some good points. And, and again, 17 rounds will be tough. But I think we see him up in the fourth or sixth place range with some seventh and eighths because it is, it's his first full year. And, and there's a lot of talent. So um, I, I look for him to be one of the top guys in that next pack, like we talked about. I think it's super important, though, to, to factor in also that one racecraft has really not been his strong point his entire career. And the reason he won his title last year is because he was head and shoulders faster than everybody. He was blazing fast. And he had a whoop section where he knew he could blow by three guys all at once. <laughs> and now he's got to adapt to there's 10 dudes in that field that can go just as fast as him or faster. And he's going to have to have race racecraft. How is he going to react when Barsh is cutting across the inside to smash him in a corner? Um, I don't know if he has that, well, that he's, mental he's strength. He's survived freezy doing so. What's the difference? Well, technically, he didn't. It, True. It, <laughs> Neither one of them survived. And that's the racecraft that I'm talking about. You can't go around the outside, try to pass Justin Barsha on the outsider. <laughs> he's going to come in like a missile, just like Vince did. <laughs> you cannot make those decisions. He has to be a better racer. And, and as far as the grind of 17 rounds, I mean, we all know that Christian Craig's proven to be a real grinder and, and, and really work hard and, and that side of things. So I'm overplaying it a little bit on, on giving him a hard time, but I definitely, I don't see him being near the front of the top 10. I just, I don't, I think there might be some races that he does pretty well, but I would say if he has, if he were to get six top five finishes, that's great. I think slotting him in, in front of guys like Marvin Muskin, who won a race last year, Barsha, who constantly is, in the top 10 and sometimes in the top five is absolutely ridiculous. So and we already, I think we you have the top three that I think we all agree on are ahead of him. And so then you add in those two guys and all of a sudden he's already at least outside the top five. Yeah. And, and once again, Denny Stevenson proving that it's okay to be wrong sometimes. <laughs> I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. I like sticking to my points and sometimes I, I, I've been known to be wrong and, uh, and that's okay. But you got to have at least an opinion every once in a while. And the fact that checks is to stake to flag on the other side of this whole opinion, it just pushes us both in opposite directions of each other. So it works out perfect it. for us. <laughs> yeah, it might be brutal because it's literally just to prove a point um, that, that Denny's <laughs> wrong. Um, but everything I'm saying is true. It's all facts. So. <laughs> so. Yeah, let's we do take turns saying that. <laughs> let's round out the the Austrian brands with Malcolm Stewart. Last year, I think was, I think he I think he hit his ceiling. I, I honestly do. I think that we saw the best Malcolm Stewart that we're gonna see. I don't know that we're gonna see. Um, like I, 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 if he makes that next step, color me surprised, um, because I, I think he has uh, heat race speed. I think he has qualifying speed. 
Um, but I don't, th- I don't see him having much for those top three guys that we've talked about the Eli Tomax, the Chase Sexton's, the Jason Anderson's of the world. I'm wrong. Um, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, checkers. I think, I think I'll let you take the floor on this one because clearly I'm just like, uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm smoking something over here, but, uh, yeah, like I, I don't, I don't like for, in order for Malcolm Stewart to improve, he would have to start mixing it up with those three guys every single weekend. Like, and that, that's that next step. There's a guy that's, that's gone really, really fast on a motorcycle from Haines city, Florida named, named uh, James Stewart. I've heard of him. Knows Malcolm pretty well. And he's, and he's predicted that Malcolm will take a very big jump up. I'm hearing that Malcolm is hands down the fastest guy at the Baker's factory day in and day out. He's on year two of the Baker program. His biggest issue previously was not being in shape. He's always had some talent and speed. He's got racecraft. He's gotten consistent. There's not a more consistent guy out there than Malcolm Stewart. He's in the top 10 week in and week out every single time. 13 top fives last year. He is dang near one races. He's going to win his first race. No problem this year. He's probably going to win multiples. I think that's a step up. I think he's going to be on the podium a lot. He's going to give those guys fits. Do I see him beating them at the end of a championship? I don't see him quite being there, but he's going to be in that mix a lot more often. And he's going to be in the top five almost every week again. He's been building slowly into it. You know, if you look back when his rise started all the way back to his year on Moto Concepts and then moving on to the Yamahas, instead of being the fast guy that crashed, he was, I'm going to be in the top 10 every single time. Well, last year he was in the top five pretty much every single time. This time he's going to be in the top five even more and on the podium more often. Malcolm Stewart will be the next best guy hands down next year without a doubt and will win his first race boom that's, coming I in mean, hot with some predictions i like it uh, yeah i mean that's a good that's a pretty solid assessment you know i mean i think malcolm did get tired last year i think you know there were rounds where he could have kept going i think you know he, the last five minutes i think he struggled a little bit maybe the last four minutes four or five laps um i think again he'll be stronger than he was last year i think he'll be more in tune with that bike his whoop speed is is definitely not as fast, but he's faster everywhere else. His corner speed has been his flowing speed. You know, you do see a little bit of James in there. His uh, way he transitions from a jump into a corner and and, and not losing any 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 type of momentum and, and keeping his feet on the pegs. You know, he's fun to watch. He's big, strong kid, and but again, he's got to stay away from carnage uh, with riders like Jason. You know, I think if he wants to be a contender and uh, in every round, I think his worst rounds. Uh, which last year were an eighth and a ninth, which was his two worst races, which were Daytona. Obviously we knew that was, that was two big instances. Those two wouldn't leave each other alone. And a ninth at St. Louis, which I think those two got into it as well. If he wants to be considered a championship contender, that he's got to, he's got to squash those emotions, focus on what's, what the big goal is. Um, and I think we'll see some, a, a couple wins out of him. I don't think we're going to consistently see him beating Eli um, or Jason, but or Chase, but he's going to, he could be possibly, if not, no doubt the top next level, fourth place guy. Um, yeah. I think checkers is pretty solid in this one and he's very passionate about it, So I'll let him have this one. <laughs> well, if, if, if you're hearing that he's one of the fastest guys at the Vegas factory, I have to go, go along with that and saying that like, like the, the KTM guys always have somebody up front. Um, and, and if, if they can get that thing figured out where, where he's consistently third, fourth, fifth, 
um, just on a consistency basis, if he's able to stay there consistently, yeah, he's going to be fourth in points. And, and honestly, I thought actually would be a step backwards from last year, but uh, that's assuming that uh, the chase Sexton takes a step ahead of him. Yeah. Those 13 I think top five finishes, 13 top fives, like checkers mentioned, he's got three second place finishes. He's on the cusp, you know, of getting that first win. And, and where's that numbers don't lie. When you, when, what? And where's that pit board for me? I think, I think, I, I think I might have. Yeah. Like I, I I'm going to maybe wear that, <laughs> wear that for the rest of this podcast. Uh, yeah. But seriously. Yeah. I, I, I've been, I've been swayed. Um, well, is it crazy to think that, Mal, Mal, is it crazy to think that Malcolm Stewart's the, the best Austrian rider of, uh, for the year? I don't even think it's a question. Like, and we talk about, yeah, he's the fastest at the Baker's factory, but, but who he's with and an uninspired web, like we were just talking about, um, Barsha's not there. Mar- Marvin's not there. So he's faster than Christian Craig. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was kind of thinking the same thing when you, when you busted out, like that was a, like, that was a big deal. I'm like, well, uh, well who's down there? What is Villapoto <laughs> down there? <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's, 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 he's beating a bunch of 50 guys and he should be the fastest. I mean, typ- guys, in so. a typical year, that is a big deal. But if you look at it that way, it's, it's not, but, um, I have heard he, like I said, he's riding great. And, you know, if James Stewart says he's going to be better, James is pretty analytical. And, and honestly, like I listened to a lot of his previous stuff last year, he was pretty hard on, on Malcolm. Like he's, he's pretty realistic about it. Um, maybe kind of like I was with Anderson of harder on them because you, you want them to do well and, and you want right. to try to be unbiased. So, um, like me and Eli, he's, he's, he's going he's, to be better. Things. He's going to be better. And your son. I don't know, but James James did pick Dungey to win the outdoors last year, so he does make mistakes. <laughs> yes, that might have been not that. Maybe that's not James's best take. But honestly, I love James Stewart's analysis of the sport. He sees stuff that, honestly, like there's there, he's he's got an eye for the sport that I I would say like better than ninety nine percent of eyeballs on the sport. Period. The guy, he he sees what bikes are doing. He, he notices changes to bikes that are happening. Like he sees where guys are struggling in sections when they're feeling it, when they're not feeling it. Like uh, he's not just looking at body language on the bike. I think James Stewart from an analytical standpoint is maybe as good as they come right now. We, we talked about, you know, the variety of, of guests commentators for the outdoors. You know, I was, we were all very critical of each one of them and which ones we liked, which ones we didn't. And obviously James, was outstanding, you know, his, and he was not afraid to say what he wanted to say. He wasn't being politically correct. Like, you know, I think Ricky sometimes is, doesn't want to say too much and, and, and drag someone down, but you know, James has no problem throwing a little, you know, a little jab here and there. He does it respectfully. He is James, you know, he has all the right. I think at the end of the, the last round, I think he, he had was kind of feeling his oats. And I think he was, he was kind of popping off a little bit too much at that point. I think he was uh, kind of stepping over and not, not insulting, but I think he just was having a little bit too much fun was it kind of lost a little bit analytical, but the races he did were awesome. And uh, I haven't had a chance to, to listen to uh, the latest uh, Bubba's world with Ricky, but uh, I, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing those two tell stories because man, watching yeah, those race back tomorrow. in the day was, was, uh, was, was some of the greatest racing that I, I'd ever witnessed in my, my life. So I look forward to their storytelling and, and uh, we'll see what happens. Check. That's really all I have. I mean, I, I, I brought all the passion in the world out for, uh, out for Malcolm Stewart. So 
I said my piece. I dropped my mic. I'm I'm good on I'm good on Malcolm. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I, I think uh, we're we're in for some entertainment when it comes to Malcolm Stewart. But I think it's time to switch things over to German Chocolate himself. The man who rode them all, except for the Kawasaki's, those just got built up. The, like your average fan would just only die to have Pro Circuit build two bikes for you that look so sick. And then to never swing a leg over either one of them is just like amazing. Uh, Ken Roxon is back on yellow for the first time since the end of 2016. Uh, he grew up on yellow. He won his last championship on Suzuki. And uh, yeah, like he said, basically rode every manufacturer aside from the Austrian brands. He ended up on Suzuki's. Um, I, like, on, like I can tell you guys what I'm gonna, what I expect to see out of Ken Roxon this year. Uh, but honestly, I'm, I'm gonna go to Debo first. I'm gonna go to Debo first on this one because I, I think he's just gonna, he's gonna really like, like dig into the negativity that can be brought through this uh, this particular topic. Well. I mean, uh, let's start first. Say, has any offseason been dominated by one rider who hadn't? Who Everyone's hadn't flying shit. under the radar compared to Ken Roxon. There is no yeah, like, I mean, there's there's Ken Roxon. There's a fifty feet of shit, and there's everybody else. It's it's incredible that the way he, he manipulated the media, manipulated the fans, uh, was able to just keep everyone at, at, at complete interest, myself included. Obviously, uh, the media, the riders, everybody. I, I guarantee other riders are just looking at it, and laughing. You know, like. What, what is going on here? Um, but for a writer who, you know, people like to, you know, I've got, I'm a Ken fan, been a Ken fan. When people jump on the fact, get him out of here. He's done. He's washed up. Well, let me remind you, he won A1 last year and he won Lakewood, Colorado. How many other guys won two nationals or two, uh, Supercross and national? So in that retrospect, I'm a Ken fan. I thought what he did at Paris, I thought he looked awesome. He got that bike dialed in. He was playing it through the whoops. Um, which then again was brought to me by checkers. The whoops were round. The races were short. Of course, Ken's going to look good over there in those short type of races. Fact taken. And I said he would no way <clears throat> in hell end up on a 2018 RMZ Suzuki. Well, clearly I was wrong. Do I think he can win on this bike? Absolutely not. For one reason. I don't doubt the HEP team. I think they're a great team. I think they do great with what, they, they, what they've done. I think his mechanic, Travis Sewells, is a good friend of mine. I think he's a fantastic and amazing uh, mechanic. Good but guy. if he does win on this motorcycle, I'm going to go back to say, again, we'll dial back. When people thought that Ryan Dungey was going to come in and start winning races, running podium, I have nothing against Ryan Dungey. I think Ryan Dungey is awesome. I think the summer he had last summer was phenomenal. We made the racing great. But for him to think that he was going to come in and beat the guys who have been racing outdoors for the last six years – it's an insult to Tomac. It's an insult to Anderson. Insult to anybody who's been racing and busting their ass to think that some guy's going to come off the couch and come in and beat it. Beat that. I felt insulted. It just wasn't. I was insulted. And I don't even race. So for, for my concern now is that if you think that a rider's going to jump on a five-year-old bike with five-year-old technology, five-year-old chassis, and beat them with bolt-on parts, then I think that every manufacturer should stop building new bikes. They should just stop, save money, sell the 2023 till the 2028, and just go race. Save some money, save some time. There's no makes no rat idea to me, or makes no sense that he can jump on this bike, old bike, and make it go fast and go win races against guys who have on motorcycles that have tons of more development. Star, Factories Kawasaki, Factory Honda, KTM, all these brands 
it just blows my mind to think that he's just going to step in and beat these guys no matter what they do. They're all like, oh, he looks great in practice. Again, Kyle Chisholm set up his bike. No offense to Kyle Chisholm. Great rider. Great career. But you tell me the last time he's ever gone Ken Roxon speed. He's ever gone Mach 1 through a set of whoops like Eli and Kenny and those guys do. And he's, you're telling me he's the one setting up his bike? I don't see it. And if Ken's comfortable on a practice on the bike practicing, well, everybody feels great practicing. Wait till you got to go Mach 1, lap 15. The track does look like a war zone. It's practice track. I guarantee he has not ridden that bike on anything that looks like that. Um, end of the day, I don't see him running top three. I see him maybe running a couple of fifths. He's going to get good starts. That bike might put him on the ground a couple of times. And if Kenny hits the ground, his uh, confidence is gone. I don't, I'm not even sure he'll finish this season. That's my take on Ken and the yellow bike. Not the team, not his mechanic, just old equipment. And I know other people disagree with me. And I've staked my flag in this crowd in the ground again. And for all I know, Ken will probably go out and win and prove me wrong, but I don't see it for 2023. What's up, Jack? Oh, Where to start? You know, for all these guys, I made notes and pulled stats and everything else. I wrote nothing for Ken Roxon because I think you throw the book out that it doesn't matter what he's done in the past because this is a completely new situation. It's such a big change. It's, it's way different. Um, I go back to Denny said he won a one and he won Lakewood. Well, he won a one uh, chase Sexton won Lakewood. He just happened to fall over with a huge lead on the last lap. Chase, uh, chase won theoretically a one and Lakewood. Without yeah. Both those races. So, so really Kenny hasn't won in a year and he was on a factory Honda. The difference between a factory team and a private tier team is what? Unobtainium support from Japan. Well, in that case, they might be the elite Suzuki team and they might get bikes from Suzuki and they might get the title that they're the factory Suzuki team, but they're not running factory Suzuki engines. They're running aftermarket stuff. They're adding bolt-ons. And we all talk about it's an advantage to be on a factory team. They have a great crew, as Denny said. They have factory suspension. They have that that going for them. Um, and then you look at when a guy breaks up with a chick and then he starts dating a new one, you notice that they talk about, well, my ex, I hated all these things that my ex did. And this new chick doesn't do those things and does them better. Well, Ken hated his bike in the whoops. The new bike's going through the whoops great, at least on a fresh groom practice track. But what he's forgetting about is there was a lot of things that that Honda did super well. And maybe this motorcycle is not going to do those things quite so well. There's no data from a factory as far as a rider at his level for him to rely on. Well, I guess there is because it hasn't changed for so long. Um, but yeah, he's that I rider. You're going to run into. The, I think where you're going to run into the problems is going from round to round. I think you lose the consistency, the ability to fix the problem throughout the night, not being on a more established program. Here's the deal. The, the HEP Suzuki team is doing an amazing job growing and improving. It wasn't that long ago that they were happy to have riders just making main events. And now they just signed Ken Roxon, who is probably the most popular rider in the sport still. So congratulations to them. That's awesome. I just think that it's going to be very, very tough for them because they're going to grow. They're going to learn. They're not ready yet because they haven't done it. And the only way you get there, yeah, you're getting thrown to the wolves. And and you have to figure it out. So it's old technology without a real factory program and factory support. 
is going to be very tough. So it, really, it's a, a very, very good privateer team. That's what they're that's what they're working with, at least for this year, until if Suzuki decides to kick it in the butt and actually start developing again on their side in Japan and, and giving them some advantage. Um, but I don't think Kenny's around long enough to see that. So to think that Ken Roxon comes in and does anything like he what he did on a factory Honda, I think is is ludicrous. Can he have some good races? Probably. One thing that probably holds true, he'll start the season better than he'll finish it. He's a great start of the series guy. But honestly, if you look at last year, I, I know I threw the book out, so I can't look it up. But other than that win, it it wasn't really awesome ever. Like, he wasn't even a podium guy a lot of the time. No, he went first, That's, 13th, 7th, 13th, 5th, 11th, 8th, 13th, and 7th. So he for had, him he to match. One win and one, he had one win and two top fives. So yeah. for him to match those results, I, that wouldn't surprise me at all. There's no way that he's in my title contender fight. Like that's it's just not there. Is he an extremely talented racer? Yes. Could he come out at Anaheim one and put the bike on the podium because he starts the season so well? Yeah, I could. I could see that. I could also see him running around in eleventh place. Yeah, I, I think you guys both hit nails uh, the nail on the head and, and make a lot of great points. I think what uh, what gets forgotten a little bit is obviously Ken had a lot of success on the Suzuki, but also remember that at one point during the 2016 outdoor season, he had stock uh, triple clamps on that bike. He had gone back to the, the, like the, the, the smaller diameter forks outdoors, which you really don't see all that often. Um, he, he struggled with the bike in supercross and anytime that you go from having like a factory HRC Honda is, is in my opinion, still, if not the top, they're the top, if not like one a of the top teams that you want to be on as far as a 450 uh, is considered. I think they have the most amount of resources. I think they have the most amount of support. I think they have extremely smart people over there like Shane drew and, and many other great chassis uh, guys are going to set things up and not to say, and I'm not, I'm not bagging on Hep Suzuki, but it also hasn't been that long since their riders consisted of Kyle, Kyle Cunningham and Henry Miller. Like I, 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 it's, it, it's hard for me to think that, Ken Roxon is going to go from factory HRC and take a step forward or improve himself going from the, the program he was on last year to what he's on this year. And the fact that like, honestly, I, in, in Supercross the last five or six years, it hasn't really come down to what the bike's doing or how Ken's going fast. It's the fact that like seven rounds into the series, he's dealing with some sort of physical ailment that doesn't even allow him to go as fast as he wants to go. So I think you guys are totally right. I don't think that it. I, I don't think that uh, Ken Roxon is going to be a better Ken Roxon in 2023. I think that if anything, he's going to be a little bit uh, back of where he was. So if you take those results from last year, I don't think he gets a win. I don't. If he if he has he had two top fives last year, maybe make that one top five this year, and the rest of the race is somewhere the back half of the top 10, maybe even outside the top 10, like it, it can go that badly. Um, and, and, and like, like you guys said, he's a top tier talent. He's won these races. He's led some of the fastest racers in the world, but I don't think 2023 is going to be the year he does it. You know, you've touched on a couple of key points though, too, is, is his ailments and getting tired. And one of the, one of the interviews I saw was I need to rest. Otherwise, my because my body gets depleted it's constantly just getting drained so then he, he rests fills the tank up and then it's managing how much it drains 
Well, guess what? He decided he was going to go become the world supercross champion this offseason and go to Paris. And instead of resting, that tank's pretty empty. And then, okay, now I'm going to find a team to ride for. It's a team that's never had a guy at his level. So now he's trying to cram a bunch of testing and training in into a super short amount of time. He can't There's be at the no peak rest. of his fitness. He, he didn't have a boot camp. There's no, no way he had a boot camp. He was on, he was on flights the whole time. And so, he spent I mean, the last five think... weeks developing. He developed, it took five weeks to develop a motorcycle to the way he wanted it at that speed, that factory level. I just, that's a big, that's a big responsibility and a big, that's a big call to do. That's a tough, don't you think? I mean, that's, the five weeks is not long enough to get a bike dialed in that you've never, you haven't raced in 10 years. Yeah. Nope. That's exactly what I was going to get to it. That's part two of it. Now you're trying to cram a bunch of extra development because it's not like they had, it's not like he's going to a team that had a solid guy like Eli Tomac there before. He's the first guy that they've had at that level on this program. And they're trying to cram that, cram that in there. So he has both of those things working against him already. Um, it's a, a huge uphill battle and he has a chip on his shoulder and um, I just, I don't see it going going well at all i hope that he at least completes all the races i really i really do and i hope that there's a couple bright spots you know i would love for him to get the pipes motorsports group or hep or whatever you want to call them them their first podium that would be awesome but i mean at least he get them their best finish ever i think their best that they've had ever is eighth so hopefully he can do better than that for them hopefully it doesn't end up in a complete disaster you know i've we've all seen a lot of times, you know, a top rider goes to a team like this and the rider ends up leaving midway through the year, you know, stuff like that happening, you know, not happy with the bike or he quits completely, you know, like it can go really, really, really bad. And I mean, we also got to, to factor in, like you're not dealing with the quality control of a factory program either. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult. There's, there's a whole lot of factors that can go in there to see Ken rocks and race 17 races and even be in the top 10 in all of them, I think would be a successful season for him. You, you made yeah. a good example or good, you know, when James went to JGR, you know, that was a big, big, big deal. The JGR had not really had anyone to that caliber, but again, JGR had unlimited resources. They could build anything back at this shop, you know, NASCAR, they can form anything make anything, anything that James wanted. They could not get that bike dialed in for James. And let's be honest, Ken, it's not, is is James Speed. He's James Caliber, you know, champion motor race winner. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's a big step for Hep. That was a great example. I was just uh, agreeing with you, Chuck. So, yeah, going to a, a satellite-type team um, has already been proven once. It didn't work out. And that was with James, very similar. I didn't, I didn't even think of that until you mentioned that. So, yeah, great example. At the same point. Chad Reed started 2-2 Motorsports, was a privateer team in a sense that he wasn't getting factory Honda parts. It was doing well enough that Honda started giving him parts and he dang near was going to win a Supercross title. So uh, it can be done. It, it is possible. But the difference there is they were at least working with a modern technology motorcycle and not one that has stopped development six years ago. Yeah, they had, and, base, and they had baseline. Chad Reed baseline is also a little bit yeah. more of a supercross. Like, I think Chad's bread and butter was always supercross. Yes, he had an outdoor title in 2009, but his main skill set focused and shined brightest in supercross, where I would say actually that Ken Roxton has had more consistent top finishes outdoors versus indoors. He has had supercross wins indoors, but 
I would say if, if, if I was to like if weigh the scales a little bit, I think he's a better outdoor rider. And I'll put you this way. Nothing about Ken Roxon's. He's he's one year older. He's not as fit as he was last year. He's still dealing with ailments. He's on a he's on the heaviest bike in the class. He's going from factory HRC to a support team. Like nothing about Ken Roxon's program and life has gotten better. Why would he be better? Yeah, it's it is, and, and people, it's funny how people just don't even want to recognize that or just pass that by. That and and that's not a shot at like. Everybody Dustin thinks Pipes Kenny, oh, or anything. Yeah, Kenny's in a good mood. He's going to do well. Well, I'm, I'm sure we talked about it. We covered that earlier. I'm talking. If you're feeling good and happy, you, you can do well. But to overcome those things you just said, great example again, it takes a lot. And he, you know, I mean, I mean, weighed in on his illness. Yeah, I mean, just keeping Kenny healthy all year long would be great. So I think uh, I think Hep's got a lot of responsibility, a, a lot of work ahead of them. And I think Kenny does as well. And He's, he's definitely made us dance and, and, you know, and jumped through hoops this last three months and it's been entertaining. Uh, I just hope it, uh, I hope it goes better than, than I think it's going to go because I, I agree. I don't think it's going to go very well. Well, you're only as good as your last race and his last race, he was the king of Paris and he's the world supercross champion. So he is a world you know, he's champion. a wave of momentum into the series on his, uh, his 2018 RMZ 450. And another thing you said too about him flying over and doing the rounds. He was just recently, beginning this month, over there for the FIM uh, awards banquet. So yeah. I mean that that's a that's Shane McElrath, who's not racing this year, by the way. Yeah, crazy. So for the Ken to spend, you know, it's a good, you know, eighteen hour, eighteen to twenty hours on a plane to go over there to accept the award, get dressed up, fly another twenty hours back. So you gave up three, four days of testing right there and writing and put yourself in, in, uh, in, in, you know, his, his, his immune system down, he's on a plane. We all know, know that is jet lag coming back, recovering, takes at least a couple of days. So, um, that was another example. I saw that he had made, went there for that. And I shook my head and I'm like, you it's know, okay. Just, Kyle Chisholm was riding the bike. Don't worry. About it. Yeah. You know, it just, so and I like Kyle. That, I love know, Kyle. Nothing against Kyle. Kyle was fantastic. But again, and you're just asking a, a, a big responsibility, for somebody, for a team and group that's never had this type of uh, pressure and then expectations. I think expectations would probably be the best word. In Ken Roxon's mind, what's a successful season for him? I mean, I I can't believe that he thinks he's coming in as a title contender. Do you like? Is it is it winning races? Is it being on the podium? Is it like what's a successful season look like in in his mind on on the opposite side? Obviously, we're all pretty doom and gloom on it, but. And then I'm just trying to be a real successful season. Like I, I don't know what they expect. Like how high of expectations do they have? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it'd be a dang miracle if he wins a race on the thing. Well, you said it, you said it earlier checks when you're talking about uh, guys who won a championship and then didn't win for a lot of years. Like the last time he stood at the top step of a podium, he was on a Suzuki at the end of 2016. We're about to roll into the 2023 season. Like there isn't, there's, this would be unprecedented if a former champion in the 450 class was to rise back to being a 450 champion, six years removed from a title. It, it's never been done. On the same motorcycle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, at least there's lots of entertainment and the amount of memes and jokes and and all of that it's it's been entertaining at least if if nothing else so i appreciate that part of it um but i guess there's a lot to be seen and 
he can definitely shut all the haters up by going out and putting the bike on the podium. He certainly can. I think it's time for some predictions here, boys. I think we're both going to give our, or all three of us are going to give our top 10. Sounds good. All right. Well, like I know that you guys are, uh, uh, I'm going to go first. I'm going to stab at this thing. Honestly, I I think that uh, you you guys might be a little bit closer to uh, being more correct than I will, especially, honestly, it's probably also going to be that way with uh with pulpamex fantasy or you guys also had uh, you guys have your own fantasy show that you guys run can you guys tell me a little bit about that well i have uh moto extreme 360 mxd360.com um back in the day good 10 years ago or so i but long ago in that nearly early 2000s i came up with a fantasy website motoxtreme.com and i brought it back uh, a couple years ago salary based league uh, we're giving away. We've teamed up with Stormlight Honda. Looks like we're going to be giving away a, a 110 pit bike for 2023 Supercross. You basically come in and you hire four 250 guys uh, for and four 450 guys for a 3.5 million dollar salary. Sal- each rider's salary is based off basically their their points and their season how they're doing. There's hot riders. Every uh, you get a hot rider gets in the top ten. You get a t- 10, 10 extra bonus points. And it's just, you know, just another way for us to compete, enjoy the sport. You know, uh, there's a lot of them out there. You know, you got, you've worked with Pulp. I know Steve and everybody over there. And uh, I'm always making up new games. We had retro games where we, we raced, uh, we played a league with 86 and 06 riders or 96 riders. Um, so just a way for us to play games and keep, keep paying attention. It's kind of like fantasy football where we're not necessarily always rooting for the teams anymore. We're looking at the players. Uh, this way you can look deeper in the pack and be rooting for guys like uh, Logan Carnell, um, you know, Clawson, Oldenburg, Chisholm, guys like that who necessarily aren't going to be up at the top five. But if they're on their team, on your team, you're going to want to uh, you want them to do your best. So it's uh, just another way for us to keep track of the game and the racing. It's fun. Yeah. And in addition to all of the fantasy games that we play, we still didn't have enough going on. So uh, um, we created a game called. Uh, Supercross Survivor, and just last year I moved it over to hosting it on on AirRelease That's a real website, um, and basically it's it's the easiest game in the world because you pick one rider every week, and that rider just simply has to get in the top ten. And as long as he gets in the top ten, then you get to stay in the game. But the catch is, and what makes it hard is you can only use each rider one time, and once that you've used that rider, you can't use him the rest of the series, and it gets, you know, it gets spicy. really challenging midway through the season when you start having to pick um, like a Justin Bogle to get a top 10. <laughs> um, or like last year, uh, somebody had, we picked Cade Clayson at one point. Like he got a top 10 and kept someone in the game. Um, it gets extremely gnarly and extremely stressful. But as Denny can attest, you pick uh, maybe Jason Anderson at Anaheim 1 and he has an off night and doesn't get top 10 and, and you're out in first the first race. race. I, I played this and game can, twice and I was out the first round both times. <laughs> and uh, it, it becomes extremely frustrating. Um, Frandis was one that got a lot of people last year. So many times um, you just got to catch guys on their, on their on nights. And it goes until, until there's one person standing. Um, and then the tiebreaker is you get the points for the rider you picked that night. So that's your, that's where the tiebreaker comes in for it. Uh, we've done it two years now and it is a lot of fun, but honestly, at the end of last year, I ended up getting second in the thing 
it was infuriating at one of the races I'm watching Bogle just literally riding around the track, not trying at all. And it was in the middle of the season. And luckily there was enough guys hurt and whatnot that he was able to pull it off for me and, and keep me in the game. But it, I think maybe it was in a heat race or something that he crashed. And I just remember he was rolling around and I was infuriated. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is the end for me. Uh, it makes you very, very passionate about one rider on, on the night. So I'll be launching that probably um, tomorrow on just stay tuned to air wheelies, air wheelies only.com or my social media. And um, we do a little buy-in and then it's a hundred percent payback for it. And it's like you said, it's the easiest game in the world. You just got to pick one rider to get a top 10. How hard can it be? I will be joining that website as soon as we hang up this call. Um, I appreciate it, boys. And uh, before we hang up this call, we need to talk a little bit about race tech as well. But uh, let me give you my top 10. And honestly, I don't have the heart to leave this guy off the top 10. Although when I probably add things up, he's probably not there, which is really sad. Is I'm going to go with the 94 of Ken Roxon in 10 spot. Followed by the 9 of Adam Cerullo. In eighth, we have Christian Craig. Uh, just ahead of him in seventh, we have Cooper Webb. Then Marvin Muscan, Justin Barsha. Then you've got the 27 of Malcolm Stewart, Mookie, Fever, Catch It. And then uh, you get the first or uh, the top uh, green bike will be Jason Anderson. Just ahead of him is Chase Sexton, and your champion for the 2023 season is none other than Elito Mac. Very well said, and very well, very similar to mine, even. Although my bottom 10 is a little different than yours. I have Dylan right. Ferrandez in 10th. I have Dylan Ferrandez in 10th. I have Cooper Webb in 9th. I have, see, I don't have my list because it's on my phone. I don't want to mess with my phone. Uh, I believe I have in 8th, I had. Um, crap. Christian Craig. Nope. Well, I had Barsha. Barsha was no Barsha wasn't eighth. Eighth, I believe I have was Marvin. Seventh, I had Barsha. Sixth, I had. I remember I had six now. Well, anyways, top five. Roxon. Craig. Roxon's not in his top was, ten. No, I don't know. Oh, Roxon. I had okay. That was it. Roxon was eighth. Sixth. Seventh was Mar. Was oh. was uh, was Marvin. Sixth was Barsha. Fifth was Cooper or was uh, Christian Craig. Fourth is Malcolm Stewart. Third is Anderson. Second, I have Sexton. And for your 2023 champion, I have the uh, the 2022 Hall of Fame Rider of the Year, Eli Tomac. What do you got, checks? I gave up writing on the pit board. We we can we're going through them all together, so it doesn't really matter. Um, in tenth place, just barely sneaking in the top ten, and only if AC is not healthy is Christian Craig. <laughs> in ninth, Cooper Webb. Eighth place, vintage Suzuki rider Ken Roxon. Dylan Ferrandis will be seventh. For the first time in three years, Barsha will not be in the top five, but he'll slot in in sixth. Marvin Muskan will be in fifth. Malcolm Stewart will be fourth, but knocking on the door of the top three. Unfortunately, I think Jason Anderson is third. The 
new motorcycle will have some off nights for Eli Tomac in second, and I think Sexton takes the step up and is your 2023 Supercross champion. Wow. The first Thanks. ever to win a Supercross championship on a CRF 450R. Wow. That's incredible. I'm blown away. Checkers, you've never even brought that up on the text. You've never even brought that up on the text thread. You kept that. To, you kept that very well. It's, it's going to be a big Damn. jump, and especially after all the conversation we had. I mean, last year wasn't as good as it looked for him in Supercross, but man, he has so much speed, and he's improved so much every single year of his career. And that's what tells me that I think he's going to get it done. And I think they have again, they have that bike figured out. And I think, I think a lot of the bike problem stuff very well. It's just a toxic environment in the truck. If one rider says the bike sucks, then they both say the bike sucks, and you know, Kenny has a habit of everywhere he goes. I mean, when he left KTM, he's winning on the thing. And he says he hates the motorcycle and he's leaving. And we talked about, he didn't like the Suzuki and last year he didn't like the Honda. So um, I think that that's contagious in the truck. And I think he got rid of that. Um, so, yeah, I think Sexton's my pick. I think he takes a step up and then that combined with Eli having issues um, and taking a little bit of a step back will open that door just enough for him in this the only thing that would change is if Honda's pulling a fast one on us and Jet Lawrence isn't really lining up on a 250 and he's just going to come out A1 and on a 450 and start winning. Speaking not of really, Jet, really. we didn't cover him. If he shows up on some East rounds, can Jet Lawrence win a 450 main event? Yes. Yes, he can. Yeah, Jet Lawrence I, I, came I, out and won his uh, like basically 450 debut, if you want to call it that, in his uh, MXDN moto. Um with next to no time on that bike. Absolutely, he can win. I actually have here in my notes about Jet Lawrence. Fast qualifier, heat win, or podium, for sure, in his very first 450 race. He'll do one of those things. I don't know if he'll do them all, but he will do one of them. He'll be fast qualifier, he'll win a heat, or he will be on the podium. Maybe all of them, who knows, but Jet's going to come in. He's not scared of anyone. He has a ton of talent. The one thing that'll be very, very interesting is I think everyone in that 450 class will do it'll look like Alessi's believe the hype debut at Millville. Oh hell they yeah. Will slam him, smash, go out of their way to rough him up and and they dangle better because if they let him get rolling, holy crap, watch out. And I'm not even the biggest jet hype boy, but man, the dude has talent and speed and what he did at Designations and on that 450. And like he is he's the next guy, you know, and if Chase is going to win, he better win this year because He's going to have his hands full with his ex-teammate starting next year for sure. Yeah, you can say you can like you can. It's not even hate. It's just me being be like, all right, show me, kid. From the very beginning of all the hype around Jet Lawrence, and you know what he keeps doing? He keeps showing me. He keeps showing yeah. me because he has like unbelievable speed. He gets ungrit. He's, he's he has awesome starts. He can start from the back. Uh, he has a short memory when it comes to like, he hits the ground. doesn't matter. Go I'm going fast again. He like, he hasn't, he hasn't been injury prone. Uh, even when he has like a, a scary get off, he seems to be made out of rubber, like on it. Like we're on the precipice of a very dangerous motorcycle rider, especially if, like you said, he can get some confidence racing with those guys right off the hop. Uh, that's bad news for everybody. Yeah, speaking of being wrong, uh, which I happen to be every once in a while, I definitely did not see his uh, him jumping on that 450 at, at Redbud and being able to muscle that motorcycle. 
like Eli does and Chase does. And didn't you win the class? Ferrandis and uh, I'm pretty sure he won the 500 class. Yeah. Yeah. Or the not 500, but the 450 open or open class. Yeah. So it was impressive. And um, yeah, he's fun to watch. So it's, it's kind of ironic that everything is always about Jet lately. And we wrap up our 450 review with Jet, who's <laughs> a 250 rider. But it always seemed fitting because I really wanted to give your opinion on how, how he's going to do. Because, yeah, I'd, I'd see him pulling like a Wyndham, you know, part-time, you know, small bike guy jumps on the, on the big bike and pulls a win. Wyndham won one of those races in the mud. That's right. Charlotte. I mean, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. Kevin can do it, I, I, Jet's a very similar type rider on that big bike. Very smooth, very precise. And, uh, and doesn't, you know, doesn't, is not worried about anybody who's ra- he's racing against. Yeah, certainly. Honestly, I, I think, uh, here, here's a question for you. If, if he does end up racing some opposite coast, who has more points by the end of the season in Supercross, uh, Jet, Jet Lawrence or Justin Cooper? Well, if Justin, I think if Justin raced every round and Jet just rode half the rounds, They'd probably be a real similar spot. <laughs> I think so too. 25, 20, <laughs> I, 25 top. You know, I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but obviously, Jed's going to be a much better, bigger, big bike rider. I think the Justin will be, but well, time will tell. Um, one, one more question, just to, to squeeze a couple more guys in here that, that we yeah. didn't cover. They're not on factory teams. Is um, with is Savachi and Wilson? Which one of those does better? Does Wilson do anything? Good. I mean, he's on his way out. This is probably most likely his Supercross season, and he's now no longer on a factory team. He's on the Firepower Honda that Roxon said was pretty sweet. I guess he was almost ready to sign there and and whatnot. So, bike must be pretty good. Um, it's better than the factory Honda, I guess. I mean, <laughs> don't get I, me started I, I, on that. I, but um, and then there's there's Savachi, which from what I've heard and, and gathered is that he's racing the first at least half the races with support from rick Ware. um and he's got some pro circuit cowies that he's been riding and um similar bikes that he rode at, at world supercross and i think savachi has quite a bit of talent and speed and i think like i said it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up on a factory kawasaki or or honestly one of the other bikes if there's if somebody needs a fill-in isn't he the first guy you would call oh absolutely i think he has uh, he has top ten speed every single weekend. Yeah, and then he was very know, impressive uh, at the at the World Supercross rounds. I mean, he rode great that last those last three mains in Australia. He was a uh, he was definitely a top three top three speed. So um, I think Wilson will will have a better season than Savachi if Savachi races the whole season. I, I still see Dean running eighth to twelfth pretty easy. That's just Dean's speed, and I think he'll he'll ride off in the sunset and. Uh, 12th in the points with a handful of top tens and then and call it a career and head to world supercross next summer, next year. Yeah. I see yeah, Dean so. having a bunch of really quiet nights of like, yeah, eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th. And like, you just don't really hear much about him, but he's there. Yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little quieter on, on Dean than that. I think it's more 10 to 12. I think anything more than 10 would be a really, really good night for him. But um, I think you see more flashes of brilliance from Savachi. I, I'm not ready to give up on Savachi yet. And I mean, he's racing for his career right now. I mean, I know at one point there, he said straight up that he wasn't going to go ride for help because he didn't want to ride the bike. And he, he feels confident in this Cowie that he has and leaving himself available. So 
I think he knows he has to do something if he wants to keep racing his dirt bike. He's finally healthy for once. Um, I just don't know like how far up into the top 10 can he really get? I mean, the field's pretty dang deep and, and talented. I mean, but I could see him getting some sixth and sevenths, you know, here and there. I don't think he consistently does it because of being on a privateer program. Um, you don't have all that support around you. And a lot of times that just breeds inconsistency more than, more than anything. Um, and then do we know is, is the McElrath to Hep thing happening? Did that, did that get done or is that not happening? Is he riding Yamahas alongside Bloss? Cause I'd heard that as well. Um, was there, I could see that happening. Uh, I actually could see Wilson battling with Bloss like every single weekend. Uh, uh, I will text McElrath right now and see if he can get back to us. Uh, he actually is. Well, it's, he, he's usually up playing video games around now. Um, <laughs> he is. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like, um, but I, I certainly think that uh, McElrath had, like, if you want to talk about the three of those guys, I think McElrath has the, the most raw talent on a Supercross track than, than all three of those guys. The, what I think joey has going for him is the fact that he needs still needs to prove himself he still wants to continue his career whereas uh it's kind of a farewell tour like right off into the sunset for for dean who who's proven pretty much everything he's going to prove in the sport and like the only thing that uh joey might have against him is just being tired from carrying around that chip on his shoulder that he's had for the last four or five years um, but yeah, I think he's going to be, uh, he's going to be, um, someone who's going to be a, a thorn in the side of a lot of factory back guys and probably a source of some frustration from some guys who are getting factory contracts who at the end of the week, at the end of the night, they're looking at results and be like, I got beat by Savachi. I, well, I, I, I see, as we've all seen on Twitter, he seems to be working on Bosch on his, his own bike. So I don't know mm-hmm. um, how involved Rick Ware is. I mean, that, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of energy. That's a lot of expended energy, a lot of time. Yeah, so if uh, he better carry that chip into 2023 because if he's working on his own bikes while practicing, that's uh, that's a lot of time, a lot of energy, wasted energy. And fair I, enough, fair enough. I think people forget pretty pretty quickly that his rookie year on a Cali 450 was was pretty darn good, and he keeps that Cali spot. And he's still on a factory Cali if it's not for AC. So I just you know AC moving into the class and and really kind of being guaranteed a spot and. And clearly he has some blackmail on Cowie because he has a two-year deal. Like I Oh, he's I got naked pictures of somebody over there. I mean Savachi was <laughs> Savachi was winning heat races, I believe. I mean, I know he and he was in the mix. Like he was really good. And so to put him in a category with with Macarath, I don't think it's fair because Shane hasn't done anything on a 450 in Supercross no. at all. I mean, it's been an absolute disaster. He, his 450 he career has been a disaster. He's been on literally nine manufacturers. There isn't nine yeah. manufacturers, but he's he's ridden all of them. And there's he got a seven with that Detroit when obviously everybody else grenaded. That's his that was his best finish last year, and that was his last race. I don't know if he he did not race after Detroit, but he was a seventh, but that was definitely due to attrition. Yeah, and that's and that's yes. it. Like there's there's no good results on a 450 um, from him. It's been an absolute mess. Too. I think he has a lot of talent. Yes. Um, he was with a back injury a, last year, wasn't he? He's been dealing with a back injury for a couple of years, kind of yeah. off and on. Like, the back was even something they talked about when he was on TLD. Before his title, yeah. Even before yeah. his 250 Supercross title. It was nice to see him come out and and get some good results and win at the, the World Supercross thing in the 250 class. And – 
I've seen Shane ride a 450 as an amateur. Uh, that's when he put himself on the map is he ran the fastest lap time of the week over Cooper Webb on a 450 at Loretta Lynn's. He can ride a 450. It's mm-hmm. just he hasn't been able to put it together, and a lot of it's injuries and, and whatnot. But his his resume is not nearly as good as Savachi's is to this point. And if he's coming in on, on either a Suzuki or – a privateer Yamaha because I had heard that Rick Ware was going to kind of support him alongside Bloss on the Rock River deal that that he's on. That's what I heard was kind of happening. Okay, but I don't know. I don't like neither of those sound like they're that solid of a program. Do we know if Rick Ware knows who Jerry Savachi or uh, Shane McElrath are? I bet you he knows McElrath because he won him a title. Okay, world yeah, you might, you, you might, yeah, you might be able to pick him out of a lineup. Together. Yes. Like ruling championship run. They do, not six know races. Graph- they do not have put decent graphics on their motorcycles. I will tell you that. No. They're, they look like uh, uh, um, Canadian junior riders with those red numbers. Yes. That's Chasing my, the that's, that's the, that's the, that's the, the red plates that I run. Like is the, those red numbers uh, checkers. I'm sure you see some Canadian kids come down every once in a while. Like what's with the red numbers. That's the, that's our B class. Um, yeah. But uh, no, time will tell uh, on a lot of these guys. I, I think uh, like um, like the the Ken Roxon thing. I think I'm sure we'll find out what Hep's doing as far as Joyce or uh, Shane McElrath, like the Wednesday before Anaheim won, um, which is more than enough time to set up a motorcycle. Um, but uh, checkers, I, I got one last segment that I wanted to do with you guys, and you guys can like basically tell me to buzz off if you're tired of talking to me or or whatever. But I wanted to talk, I wanted you to give the listeners if they're still listening to this point in the podcast, although we're going to break this up into a bunch of different segments. So, um, the floor is yours to talk a little bit about um, race tech and uh, not only the awesome suspension offerings that you guys have, but also the uh, the engine stuff you guys do. Yeah, so um, my actual job, and even though I'm moonlighting as a media guy with you now, which is pretty sweet, um, is I'm the director of marketing for Race Tech. We are the world's largest aftermarket motorcycle suspension modification company, uh, famous for our gold valves, which is a revalve in a box. Um, we sponsor pretty much every dang privateer out there. And at some point in our in our history, we've pretty much worked with every guy from Jeremy McGrath to... Uh, Cooper Webb, like they've all went through the race tech program at some point, which is pretty neat. Um, Danny Stevenson, probably. I, no. I would assume so at some point. I don't know. There's, there was a two stroke 250 that should have had some race tech stuff on it. Should have had it. Might have, was, I'd probably still be right if it wasn't for that. If, I, if, I, if it wasn't for my laziness. <laughs> right. And uh, so, but our goal right now and our focus right now has been working with all the, all the fastest privateers and instead of writing a check to work with the factory team, we've, we've chosen to go that route because the fact of the matter is the privateer is closer to speed than what you're going to get with a local guy. And instead of focusing on, you know, we're going to be amazing on Honda. Instead, we have a guys on every single brand and every single bike to get feedback from. And so it helps us with development and to push that side. Plus for me, it's, it's honestly a lot of fun when you take a guy that's barely making night shows and help them make their first main event, or you even enjoy helping a guy make his first night show in supercross. It's dang rewarding. And you know, you get that really close relationship because they don't have a huge team of guys around them and you're able to really help them. You know, it's on a factory team. It's like, there's a lot of guys helping them. There's a lot of resources dedicated to them 
Um, so we've chosen to go a little bit different route as far as building our brand on the suspension side. And then on the engine side, we've, I can't believe we've been doing it for like eight years now. And uh, we have a very experienced staff and some of the best equipment in the industry. And, and you would be amazed at this point, um, the level of guys and companies that are using our engine services that put their logo on it and you never know it was at our shop. Um, unfortunately I can't actually mention a lot of their names because we have NDAs and such in there, but everything from OEMs to some guys that build stuff that stands on the podium in a supercross, we'll just put it that way, um, goes through our, goes through our shop at this point. So it's really, really cool to be part of that. And I mean, really the, the basis there is, is we give you a good, we give good head, <laughs> um, and what that we give you a good nice. head so that, that is reliable and makes it makes very good competitive power and it's all because it's developed on math and science first of all and then goes track tested but we don't build there's no such thing as building time bombs in these five hour engines that are ten thousand dollars and gonna blow up on you like that's just that's not what we're doing that's not the business that we're in um so we support a lot of a lot of engine builders with offering their machining services and then they assemble the engine and we'll give them a recommendation of what we've found works best parts wise. And we tune ECUs and all that side of things, but it's up to them at the end of the day to choose the parts that go in the bike and the way that they want it to be. Um, but we can give them our recommendations. So we do the R and D and we do the machining and then we have somebody else that's assembling them. We've had some, some great luck with, I mean, there was a time when Jerry Robin was full shotting nationals as a privateer on an engine that cost under a thousand dollars retail. So it's, uh, that's pretty cool. It's pretty neat. We can make a lot of power with a lot of reliability that can be competitive. Um, I'm not saying it's a star Yamaha, but I would say that solitary Yamahas are pretty fast. Um, the AJ I was about to say you guys are working with those guys and the AJE bikes are, are pretty good. And we work with, like I said, a lot of privateers and then, then a lot of the stuff that, like I said, I can't talk about that's, that's at the front quite a bit. Um, it's, it's really neat how quickly that department has grown and it's a lot of fun for me to, to be involved on, on different sides of things. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you giving us some, some info on that. I think uh, if Debo ever gets back into riding, uh, he's going to have to do so with uh, some, uh, some race tech in his bike. Um, Okay. Last thing I have for you guys, you can guys, like I said, you can get me to buzz off or not, but uh, I wanted to do a segment called overrated, underrated, or properly rated. Uh, I got two for each one of you guys. Um, and, uh, and I was hoping that you guys could each have one for me. Uh, checkers, I'll start with you. If that's okay. You, you guys down for this? Absolutely. I'm in Perfect. and I have one for you. All right. So checkers, overrated, underrated, or properly rated qualifying times. Qualifying times are overly rated. Um, there's a lot of guys that are not that are not good qualifiers, but they're good racers. Um, we've you hear it all the time. I mean, Webb was a good example of don't worry about his times if they're off. Um, you know, there are a few guys that if they're on, they're on with qualifying times. But I mean, you have the Jerry Robbins of the world that they're going to qualify fast no matter what, and they might not even make the main event. So qualifying times overrated. Don't get all worried about them. It, they don't mean that much. All right, Debo, you're up next. Opening ceremonies, overrated, underrated, or properly rated? Um, I think they're properly rated. You know, I've been to a handful of Supercrosses each season. 
I love the way that things open up. I think everything's great. It gets everybody fired up. Each rider kind of comes out, introduces themselves, um, the lasers, the fire. It's a show. It's a production. You know, it's not always about just the race scene. It's, a, it's an entertainment piece. And uh, Linkfeld does an outstanding job. Um, the riders, I think, get a chance to show themselves and come out with a little bit of music. We miss Kenny, Kevin Windham you know, doing his uh, transfer back in the day. Um, but I think they do a great job. And as a rider, when, you know, just the way, not necessarily opening ceremonies, but just, you know, the very, if you're the very first heat of the night and the announcers scream and, and the gate drops and it's just, man, you're just, as a rider, you're pumped. And as a fan, you just can't wait to see more of it. So I hope Feld continues to keep doing it because it's, it is, again, it's a show. When did they start doing it? Were they, were, did they do opening ceremonies when you were racing 250 Supercross? No, but it was more just before the main event, the yelling, the screaming, the, you know, just getting everybody fired up and you're on the lurch. Gate, you're just, you know, you're feeling it. Yeah. Nessie it wasn't lurch. I don't remember who it was, but um, I'm not really, you know, I think I remember in 09 when I worked with Josh Grant and Trey Kennard and I remember J- Josh was doing real well and they wanted to know what music he wanted to come out to. And then they were wanted to do, that's when they were kind of doing the, the scripted sequences that, you know, this little, you know, two minute shows that they put on the screen before, like 30 seconds, wherever the hell they were, um, that they could kind of custom done and stuff. So, and they were doing them back then. That was, uh, what, down there 15 years ago. So, you know, Feld, Feld knows how to make a show. They're, they're good. Uh, they're good at what they do. All right. Perfect. Jax, you got one for me? Yes. Uh, big whoops. Big whoops underrated. are underrated. Big whoops are big time underrated. Big whoops. They separate guys. They show off so much about what a rider is all about as far as his confidence, bike setup, and the ability for certain guys to like really be a separator. I love big whoops. Big whoops are an underrated um, uh, feature. And honestly, they're my favorite thing about arena cross. When you get a really big set of arena cross whoops, uh, that was one of the things that uh, looking back when I think of guys like like Denny and D and uh, um, Buddy back in the day who could could get on top of those things and run away from people. Big whoops are underrated. I like big whoops and I cannot lie. Fair enough. <laughs> it makes it makes for a great show when they're big monstrous ones. I almost yell at the TV and I usually post something dumb on social media. Don't take down the whoops. Stop rolling them. You know, I uh, 100% agree. <laughs> oh, I, I remember there of hours being developed to get your motorcycle to work through a set of whoops and they have a big set and all of a sudden the dozer comes out to roll them. It's, it might be a guy that works for a suspension company's worst nightmare. <laughs> like yeah. seriously, frustrates me to no end. Cause that was, that's always been our privateer guys's advantage was they can get through a set of whoops and it would separate them from the guys that couldn't. So uh, I guess we're all in agreement on something. That's pretty sweet. No kidding. <laughs> um, okay. We'll go back to Debo and then we'll finish off with checkers. Uh, Debo, overrated, underrated, or properly rated rest before a race? Um, I'm willing to bet you've was, done some races on a few hours of sleep. No, you know, I've, I've made this pretty clear. And, uh, you know, I've had my good times uh, over the years during the season. But they were always on a Saturday night after the race. Um, I never felt I had the talent to, to pull a dogger or, you know, to pull an all-nighter before a race. And, uh, and, and I was – I think good rest is pretty key. although. So Jason Thomas recently talked about going to Europe and how important it was for him, you know, as had a habit that after practice, he'd go back to the hotel and then try and lay down for about 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour before he had to come back to the stadium. 
I, I remember we would just go eat somewhere and kind of enjoy the city because we're outside the, the country. So um, in America, though, when that's your focus every weekend, I think getting well rested is pretty key. Um, so I'd say it's pretty well properly rated. I think it's, it's good. And I think today's riders, the way they beat themselves up, if they eat a donut, you know, I'm sure they're getting good sleep. Alden probably has been oxygen tanks to get a good 20 hours of sleep every day. Yeah, no kidding. They, they sleep 25 hours a day. They're like cats. Uh, I would agree with you. I think it's properly rated. I think it, it's important, but obviously to, to certain guys, like if you don't need that extra sleep, uh, that's up to you, I suppose. But I think uh, like more sleep is always like, and, and being rested rolling in is always going to be to your advantage. What do you think, Jax? Well, it's certainly not a disadvantage. Um, I've had some great races on, on very little sleep and not even necessarily because of being out the night before or anything along those lines. Um, sometimes on, on that side, but when I was actually decent at riding dirt bikes, I was a junior in high school. So <laughs> my, my going out was a little different. Um, but I think on the level that they're on now, like, yeah, you have to be rested and, and ready. There's it's important. And I think people are paying attention to it a lot more. And I think that's one of the things when you start talking about privateers and, and that sort of things that they don't get, they're driving across the country and they don't have a program and they're doing their own bike work and stuff or, organizing it and they're not on ever a good schedule or routine at the race and like a lot of times they're unloading and loading their van you know to do tech and that side of things and then they yeah. have to go grab well i gotta get i haven't gone to the grocery store yet and i need waters and bananas and stuff for tomorrow and it gets you know 10 11 o'clock or whatever the night before the race and and they're still running around um i think all of that stuff does definitely start to add up and and hurt their programs so um you see guys when they start flying into the races, a lot of times it helps if they're, if they're privateer on that level or having some structure and some support. I mean, I think a lot of that does, it comes down to rest. Certainly. Like when you have guys who are essentially riding, like they're, they're racing against guys who don't have to worry about any of those things, uh, including driving the vehicle. Uh, you got guys like, say your your uh, Alex Nagy's or your Josh Greco's of the world. And by no means are those guys like world beaters and they're, they're going for championships. But the reality is they're race, they're riding the same track as a guy like Eli Tomac and they're driving the series. They're contacting sponsors. They're getting, uh, they're putting graphics on the night before races. Sometimes it's absolutely uh, ridiculous what some guys are able to pull off. Yeah. Frank Cody Gilmore, he, you know, he was a, a, yeah, perfect a long time. You know, he was flying in on a Thursday and, work, you know, getting his bike out of the out of the privateer rig and then working on it all day Thursday or Friday, getting it ready and then having to tech it himself. And, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's incredible what those guys do. And and uh, and they they've earned it. And they earn their their place on the gate every weekend, every. Uh, and it's very, very well respected. And they don't get enough praise because they are some badass individuals. All right. Last one for us. We got checkers here. Overrated, underrated or properly rated. The 2004 Storm Lake Arena Cross team. <laughs> uh, well, we were definitely overrated by all of the people at the nightclubs that we went to. And when, like, every week the DJ shouted, Storm Lake Hunt Arena Cross team's in the house and they're in the VIP and, and all this stuff. They had them convinced that we were rock stars and celebrities and and let's be real, we weren't even getting on the podium or anything like that. And it was the regional arena cross series. It wasn't even the real one. <laughs> um, so we were definitely overrated in their minds. Um, but 
Yeah, yeah, we'll go with overrated for sure. <laughs> I don't even have a. There's no butt to it. Oh, that's awesome. I I, I didn't that's realize okay. that was going on. Oh, it was it was it was pretty. Well, I've sweet. heard the I've heard the story since. I just didn't realize that was happening at the time. It sounds yeah. like some and good times were had. Again, I was a, a junior in high school, so. I was getting my proper rest on Friday nights in the hotel room, but all the other two riders and all the mechanics, they were wide open all <laughs> the whole time from the time that box man left till, till it came back. And, and a lot of times they'd get such good VIP status going on, you know, Thursday we get into town and Friday night by Saturday night when the race was over, they had them convinced that a little 17 year old me was going to the bar with them. We're going partying. <laughs> so um, and, and I get one cool good night in there and learn a lot about life like it well that's, oh. that's uh, certainly where a lot of things can be learned boys this has been so much fun we've been on the line for like damn near three hours uh breaking down uh the mo- one of the most competitive series is in motorcycle racing period let alone motocross uh i'm excited for it and i really appreciate you guys taking the time to break down the 450 class with me no thank you uh you know obviously when i mentioned to checkers um he was ecstatic i was pumped you know we do we do this over text you know texting for every day through the week so for us to get together with you you and i have talked a lot and uh to break it down like this for the sport we love i can't wait you know i'm doing the the countdown each day with uh with old images and old riders with old numbers and uh i'm excited to sell so it is one of the greatest things and the greatest thing about anaheim one is the fact that there'll be 22 riders lined up on the gate in both classes and every single one of those riders still think they can believe that they can win until they have, they have yet to race they've trained their asses off they all think they got the best bike and uh there's no greater feeling in the very first round because you'll never have all 22 riders thinking they can win the race because by the time they hit around two or three they all know they're about eighth ninth and tenth yeah the pecking order definitely starts to get uh, established by then they're all tied up in points at anaheim one uh i always yeah. find it funny that we put so much pressure on anaheim one and then as soon as the race is over all of the results were like, ah, but it's Anaheim one. You like, you get all kinds of weird results from Anaheim. You can't really, you, you can't totally take much away. You totally blow it off. Yeah. You make excuses yeah. for it because it's Anaheim one. Exactly. It's the most important, <laughs> not important race of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But it's I'll be there. Exciting though. I'm looking at our list and there's, I will be on my couch. I'm coming out later for a couple of the other rounds, mm. but it's, it's pretty exciting. I'm looking at my list and there's 18 guys on there that legitimately expect that they should be able to be in the top 10 or, or right by it. And I would say that there's 15 of them that expect to be in the top 10 at least, which is, is awesome for us. And then that means that there's four spots left for about 10 privateers that are main event caliber each week that they're going to be fighting over it. So Give me some LCQ action all day long. Bring on twice the last on Sunday, Twice on Saturday. And then, oh, give me all the 250 LCQs in the world, especially because nothing better than some overhyped, inexperienced kids just absolutely sending it, trying to make the main event. This has been a ton of fun, but that's going to be even more fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I can't wait for that. Uh, the three of us are going to reconvene. For the 250s, but uh, like Debo said, you need to get some rest, and we're going to go to do exactly that to uh, to, to to wrap the before we get back together to do the 250s. Um, for Chris Riesenberg and Denny Stevenson, I'm Brad Gebhardt. Thank you so much for listening to the Big MX Radio podcast. Uh, if you watched it on YouTube, thanks for watching, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll cut it off right there, boys. And there you have it. 
Big MX Radio, 2023, 450 Supercross preview. This was a pleasure. I can't thank Checkers, Chris Reisenberg, and uh, Denny Stevenson enough for coming on. Uh, absolute gem. Absolute. Uh, like they're, they're, Those guys are so much fun to talk to. So knowledgeable. So much um, great energy on that call. Really appreciate those guys coming on. And uh, it was actually it was a Zoom call. Uh, so we had a lot of fun with that, being able to do, uh, like being able to, uh, connect with those guys that way. So, um, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast. Um, and, uh, there'll be many more to come. Uh, we're getting ready for, uh, Anaheim one, 2023. You guys have a great rest of your day.